Hello, and welcome to episode 215 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Jessica I. and Kathy H. to The Modern Manager community. Have you thought about joining the community yet? Membership starts at $5 a month and is a wonderful way to support me and connect with other amazing managers who, like you, are interested in creating a strong, healthy team. Check out membership options at themodernmanager.com slash join. Today's guest is Victoria Sharoma Wilson. Victoria is a leadership development coach and consultant who partners with world-class organizations and professionals to discover their purpose, develop a powerful vision, and design a strategy towards transformation. Victoria is valued as a big-picture visionary who empowers her clients to think boldly and holistically about their future by examining cultural and systemic influence within the greater ecosystem. Victoria and I talk about identity, what it is, which is so much more than DNA, how it informs how we show up as a leader and interpret the world, how understanding identity can help us better engage our colleagues and make decisions, and a whole lot more. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Victoria. I'm super happy that you are here on the show with me. And before we dive in, I do need to just give a little shout out to our mutual friend, Deborah Grayson Regal from episode 202, who introduced us. I love it when my prior guests are like, I have the perfect person for you. You got to talk to this person. And, uh, and now here we are today. Ready? I'm ready to talk with you, Victoria. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Okay, so this is a big topic. We are talking about identity and how it impacts us and how it, you know, shows up in our cultures and our teams and all of that like juicy stuff around kind of who we are. So, can you start by maybe just kind of explaining in your mind kind of how you define identity and how it's formed? Yes, absolutely. At a very high level, if we think about identity, like everybody on this planet has some form of an identity, right? So we are all social creatures and we all function within social systems. And if you think about it, our identity is the main way we view the world from the inside out, right? And how we respond to the world from the outside in. And so as we function and as we move through the world, we all kind of interpret and internalize the norms or the acceptable rules of the world around us. And that really forms our perspective. And, and at, the, at the very core, that's how our identity gets formed. So it sounds like what you're saying is there is this like, there's this interaction between kind of who we are, right? We're not coming into this like a, a total blank slate, right? We have our, our genetics and our you know, something about our DNA. Right. And then it's like this interaction between that and the world that forms who we are and how we understand ourselves and how we understand the world. Exactly. And I talk about the two eyes, like there's this whole notion of inheritance versus internalization, right? So for a lot of folks, you know, they think about, or they're very aware of the inheritance. Like they're like, well, I picked this up from like, let's say the world around me, you know, or I inherited these traits. And so it's more than just the DNA right? It's more than the biological notion of that we, because we are social creatures. And so we talk about this whole notion of internalization. We do 
unconsciously make this decision to say, all right, well, this is how I need to belong and survive in the world around me. So that, so that you internalize these beliefs and these behaviors for how you want to interact with the world. Can you maybe give us some example of things that we might internalize around our ourselves that inform our identity? Because I, the reason I'm asking these questions or, or want to kind of go down this path is because I think historically, maybe for myself, even or kind of like that identity has been a lot about like, I'm a woman, right? I'm white, I'm mm-hmm. tall, right? Mm-hmm. Certain things about myself that I understand to be kind of factual that right. then, you know, give me some way of moving through the world. But then mm-hmm. there's all these other things I think that you're saying that's mm-hmm. that are parts of our identity that maybe aren't so obvious that we have inherited and then right. internalized in a way that aren't actually about these kind of in these physical traits that we might embody. Right, right. So one of the ways that I like to work with clients is we we kind of get away from the whole notion of I am and move to I see, right? So when you talked about like some of the traits that you have, like some of the physical traits, there's one really important aspect to, to consider. And that is the fact that it's not only just the way you function and move around in the world, it's also how others respond to you. Right. And so we're always picking up on these signals. And, and if you think about it being, if our identity being more of like this evolutionary, what we call a semi permeable membrane, right? It's like we take in data, right? And then we kind of internalize it and analyze it. And then we kind of like that actually informs our behaviors and how we respond to the world. Right. And so that kind of creates this really interesting behavioral loop that happens not only within ourselves, but also within the people that we interact with. And so one of the things I I do work with clients on is um, kind of like getting away from the whole notion of I am, because a lot of folks, like when you think about like some of the physical characteristics or they, or they think about their intersect, what we call our intersectionality, they say, I am a, you know, biracial woman who is cisgender and, you know, and, and goes on and on and on. If you, if you take a step back from that, it, there's a few assumptions that get weaved in here, right? So it weaves in the assumption that everybody has this common understanding of what that is, right? And so I, I can't say that I have a, you know, I am gravitationally challenged. So therefore I don't understand what it means to be a tall woman, but at the same time, I have some assumptions of what your experience as a tall woman could be like. Right. And the other reason why I want to get away from the I am aspect of it is that we, when we start introducing ourselves like that, we're kind of planting a flag. We're digging in, right? Because, you know, if, if somebody questions that, then we, you know, we start digging in and say, well, you're questioning who I am in a sense. So one of the ways that I work with clients is to kind of like talk about the I see, right? What is your perspective? What is the reality of the world as you see it? So it helps to address the nuances, right? So we look at it in the context of an issue. So what's happening right now, right? What's happening with this issue? How do you see this issue, right? How's your identity forming this perspective, right? And so there's a lot of rich information that comes from that. And then, so what we do then is, especially if you're thinking about a team or a group of people that are coming together, you know, so if you look at it in the context of an issue, then you can, it, it kind of diffuses the situation because you're just sharing a perspective, right, around that specific topic. And then from there, you can think about commonalities, 
right? The, so how do we work through this issue together versus I'm, you know, this is who I am and, you know, and I'm feeling somewhat very defensive about that. So just shifting from the I am to the IC, I think is really powerful. Oh my gosh, you said so many things I want to like <laughs> just <laughs> pull apart here for a second. Okay, so first, I I love this idea of, of not... Um, of the generalizations or the assumptions mm-hmm. that come with the I am statements. Because as mm-hmm. you were talking, I was thinking even about myself, there was a time in my life where being tall, which I know is kind of a silly example, but it was something that I was embarrassed by. I didn't know other tall women. And it like it totally impacted how I presented myself in the world. And then I kind of shifted over time in part because my husband was like, I don't care if you're four inches taller than me when you wear heels, like do it. That's amazing. And I gained a lot more confidence around presenting myself as a taller woman. And I am not uh, unlikely that, you know, taller than many of the men in the room sometimes. And now that like that part of my identity and how I present myself as a, as a thought leader, as a woman in a meeting, Mm -hmm. it's a totally different feeling and I'm sure my behaviors are different. And so, mm-hmm. you know, even if I look at another tall woman, I, get, I know it's a silly example. I can't know how she interprets her own, you know, physical being and how that impacts who, how she shows up in the world. Because I mm-hmm. myself have had so many different variations of that, right? So I love this yeah. idea that we can't just categorize our identity because it, it can mean different things to us. It can mean different things to different people. It can evolve over time as we learn and grow. Mm-hmm. So shifting from that I am into the what do I see, it feels like a way to also open up the aperture around what forms our identity, right? I'm imagining yes. that approaching a situation, right, it's it can be the kind of collective of who we are, but it can also be, right, the values that we grew up with. It could be a really bad experience you had working in a different company that has Mm -hmm. shaped how you now are seeing the same issue play out again, right? There's so many other pieces to it. We say, oh, our identity is actually not just a set of of traits um, Mm -hmm. and not just a set of kind of collective social norms, but there's so much more that goes in there. Oh, absolutely. And we haven't even touched upon um, professional identity, right? This whole, you know, when we think about from the perspective of being a good manager, a good leader, you know, there's the layer of professional identity that comes into play. And, you know, and again, it's, this is the securitist loop that happens where you are talking, you know, you're internalizing and you're taking in information and you're like, well, this is what it means to be a good leader or a good manager, or, you know, just a good thought leader, you know, and then you also have to think about like, well, how's the world responding to that? Right. And is this similar to what is expected of me? Right. So there's always this, like these, this transfer of information that's happening all unconsciously and all within a split second. Wow. That's like so much going on. Before we get into this, that process that you outlined, I want to take a step back into this. How do we understand our own identities? Like, if I am, if I want to use this as a tool to help me better engage in how I look at the world, how I approach a situation, how I manage a colleague, what's the process I can use to really understand, you know, who I am and and what I'm bringing, and what are those different lenses that I'm viewing the world through? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I think having kind of what we call a guiding question or an issue 
right? That if we put it in the context of that, that helps us to get some perspective on things, right? And so one of the things I like to do with clients is say, all right, so we're all part of different systems, right? So we come from different, let's say family systems, maybe even our community educational systems, you know, how do you, you know, maybe early in your profession, you, you know, you had like a specific way you were socialized into the way you had to be, right? Then we also look at, you know, ethnicity, national system, is identities, you know, all this stuff influences us in some way or another, right? But that guiding question kind of brings those values out or brings that, brings what is the, the central aspects of our identity that's relevant for the topic that's at hand. So even just thinking about like all the influences that you had in life, you know, writing them down against and then measuring that against the guiding question, I think, could be really helpful. Can you give us an example or tell us a story about uh, yourself or a client who used this and kind of how did that play out for them? Yeah. So I worked with a really interesting client um, fairly early in my coaching that still stays with me here. Um, And this is where I felt like the whole notion of identity was really important. So brand new, relatively new uh, people manager um, at a startup in Silicon Valley. And there was this whole notion where he came in and he really had not only uh, this culture shock because he came from a system, um, not only just a national and ethnic system, but an educational system. And then he came from a large multinational um, corporation. Right. So then he's stepping into a completely different system of uh, with different norms and values and behaviors. And, you know, he came from this organized, this previous organization and also this educational system that was very much top down hierarchical. You have to make sure that you're, you know, that, you know, if, if whatever the leader says goes. Right. Well, he stepped into a fairly flat organization, very different set of norms and behaviors and values. Right. So the the challenge that he had and he was frustrated with was that, you know, that people took exception, like, let's say, with the tone of voice, how he communicated. Now, I could have approached this from purely a behavioral um, standpoint and and said, okay, well, let's think about what other ways you want to communicate or what's the tone and all that. But for for him, it was really important to understand the why, like what was contributing to all this. And so we sat down and worked on these exercises I just talked about. It's like, all right, so where's this coming from? And he is realizing that this is something he had been socialized in his entire life. This was really core part of his identity. And from the multinational organizations that he was coming from, that was what he was told what what good leadership behavior was supposed to be, right? Meanwhile, his team, you know, in this new team that he was part of was just really not having any of it, right? They were really struggling with this. So we focused on a couple of different areas, right? And when it came down to it, his identity had evolved to the point where he's like, this isn't who I am anymore, and so he, we talked about like, all right, how do we want to restore trust on your team, right? What's a different way in which you need to show up and to acknowledge the fact that this is something that is going to take a little bit of time because you're going to be rebuilding that trust, right? And as a result, he came, you know, so the behavior was one aspect of it, but then he also took that extra step of having some vulnerability and sharing with his team, like, here's how, who I have, I've been, here's who I really want to be. Here's how we can all work together on this. Right. And it took a while. It took a, a few months, but 
by the end of it, he really had a better sense of himself and himself as a leader, himself as a man, people manager. And then his team actually, little by little, when he started following through on what he said he was going to do, he really helped to rebuild the trust within that team. Wow, that's such a great example of, of how our organizational influences in different kind of in, you know, organizational environments can really impact how we, you know, what we think is the right way to show up to the point where, mm-hmm. you know, we don't even realize how strongly we've been influenced by those systems and then what it takes to actually shift our behaviors and shift our mindset and shift our understanding of what leadership looks like. Absolutely. And really understanding what was driving that and what was feeding into his identity and really acknowledging that his identity had evolved was really central to all that change. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking there's like another, there are probably some core areas where our identity is really powerful, where we may not even realize it. So I think one of them clearly is like whenever there's a problem, like a more kind of what mm-hmm. is our orientation towards that problem? Mm-hmm. And, you know, another I'm guessing is probably like decisions, right? Whenever we're making a decision. Yes. Right. Our identity is probably like front and center, even though we totally don't see it. So can you maybe talk a little bit about how our identity impacts and influences how we make decisions? Yes. And I'll actually uh, add another layer to that um, because it comes out, especially when we're trying to make decisions in environments where there's a lot of uncertainty or ambiguity. Mm. Right. And I, I would say that as leaders and managers, we are all kind of forced to try to figure that out try to figure out what's happening. Like, where do we go next? Right. But especially if we're trying to blaze a trail here. So what's really been fascinating about that is that, you know, a lot of my work really involves helping managers kind of examine that perspective because what happens is that when there's like high levels of uncertainty and we're trying to make these decisions and, and there's also the sense that maybe we have to make the right decision, right? We have to deconstruct that. So I work with them to understand, okay, what's what does a right decision look like? What does a wrong decision look like? So we try to not only just add a little bit of certainty back into the equation, but I also give them an understanding of you know, the whole notion that once you, if you're trying to make decisions when there's not a lot of information, people tend to revert back unconsciously to what they think they know. Right. And when I and I really emphasize the word think, because that's that is where our, our identity and the kind of the cultural messaging that we've gotten over the years have fed into that. Um, we all you know, we're striving to try to kind of make sense of the situation based on, well, what's a similar situation that we've experienced before? So really surfacing that and then helping to bring it to the forefront so that they can you know, approach these challenges so that they can make what we call an informed response rather than react to a situation is really important. So, you know, there's like so much of this that's that's so interesting in decision-making. Could you maybe share a story of how understanding the identity aspect has helped or kind of has shifted how someone approached a decision or ultimately made that decision? Yeah, so... In many respects, I think the biggest stressor from when it comes down to to decision making um, really comes down to whether or not they're going to make the wrong decision, 
right? And so part of it is, you know, we've been socialized over the course of decades, especially through an educational system too, that it's, you know, there's a right, there's always one right answer and then maybe three wrong answers if you're looking at a multiple choice question, right? So a lot of my work really involves like just helping to surface that. And so first of all, we eliminate this whole notion of there being a right answer versus a wrong answer. The other thing that we also look at in terms of helping to make the decision is like, I get curious. I start asking like, well, what's, where's that coming from? Because the thing is an absence of information, we start fueling this gap with assumptions. And so trying to understand like, okay, where are these, where are these assumptions are, are coming from? And also, what values are they checking into? Because one of the things I've noticed, especially with, with people who are trying to make these decisions, is that sometimes the strongest responses, the strongest reactions come from something that really is central to their values, right? So if they feel their values have been violated in some way or another, they usually get you know, pretty agitated about this. So I, I, try, I check in and just say, all right, so let's let's get that out there. Let's surface this, right? So if you think about it being a this opportunity to just build awareness, when I'm coaching somebody, I start asking, I was like, what does that mean? What's, what's, um, where's this coming from? Right. And usually it comes from something that was central to their identity or some sort of experience that helps them like uh, by surfacing it, it helps them to make what we call an informed decision about what, where they want to proceed. No, I'm thinking about a conversation I had with a friend a couple of years ago on this idea of like there being a, a right decision and a wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And we're both entrepreneurs and I don't even remember exactly how we got onto the subject. And we were talking about making a decision in business. And he was like, well, there is a right decision. And he kind of explained his logic. We were talking about like logistics stuff. And he's like, there is a most efficient way to get a truck from Brooklyn, New York to San Francisco. And Mm -hmm. either you figured out the most efficient way or you didn't. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's so interesting. And he has a background in math and Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's so interesting that that is how he is framing this. Whereas I'm framing this as a strategic question where there is no right answer. Mm -hmm. There's only trade-offs. You know, there's an efficiency that could come in time, but then there's a trade-off with money. And there's Mm -hmm. maybe a trade-off in the environmental impact. And so there is no right answer to this question. And, you know, I come from an arts background where Mm -hmm. making making a painting, there is no right way to make a painting. There's no, you know, perfect finished, you did it, you know, answer. And how, you know, I never had really thought about this before, how, Mm -hmm. you know, his background as a mathematician and my background as an artist led us to perceive this, what seemed like a really simple question in very, very different ways because of how we have been conditioned to look at the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And so one question I'd probably ask him is like, all right, so efficient. All right. So what's, where's, where's that coming from? What's, what's important about efficiency? How do you define efficiency? Right. Because one of the things that, that might come up, right. Is that he might see efficiency as like being a certain level of criteria or factors based on what he knows. And then, but you might actually see, you might be calling it strategic, but you also might, but it actually might be the most efficient thing that's happening based on the variables that are available to you at that time. Oh, this is so helpful, right? There are so many conversations we have with our team members all the time where we use words that we think we all understand, or we think we've all defined the same way. And really we find out that even 
this kind of simplicity of language is actually needs to be unpacked and needs to be further defined so that we can be talking about the same thing or at least be explicit about the perspective we're bringing in and how we're understanding the situation, which goes, you know, full circle back to where you started by saying, mm-hmm. we'll start by understanding the issue and then you can open up your your lenses and your identity that you're bringing into that issue. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting because I think some people might be reluctant because they say, well, that takes extra time to define what the issue is. But then again, if you're functioning on a foundation of misunderstanding, then how much efficiency are you losing in in the long run? Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up, can you say one, you know, one little snippet about this identity of like not like everyone really does have an identity, right? I think mm-hmm. there's an unfortunate thing that's happening right now around, you know, being specifically white, male, straight, cisgendered, where they kind of get lost, or at least my experience of talking with people mm-hmm. in that kind of collective category is that they sometimes feel like their identity gets a bad rap or they kind of get lost in the world of. Mm-hmm. you know, bring your full self to work, kind of, you know, be your authentic self and your identity. So mm-hmm. can you just speak to that for a little bit about, you know, how do we really understand that everyone has an identity and that all identities are valid? And it it kind of goes back to this, like, it's not about your yeah. traits, you know, it's something bigger than that. Yeah, that's no, really interesting because I think there's been many folks that have been socialized to believe that, and especially, again, this goes back to like, when we think about what is what does it mean to be a good manager? What does it mean to be a good leader? What I uncover with a lot of folks is that they've been socialized to always be right, right? Or that they, they have to show the, I, I would say the word strength comes to mind, right? They're always been said, well, you need to be able to lead the team. So therefore you are, you need to show strength and that and certainty. And, and so I usually pause with folks and just say, all right, what does that mean? Right. And what I, the themes that I pick up on are this whole notion of invincibility, right. Or that I'm always right. Or, and that puts a lot of stress on people. And what I found is that sometimes the most effective leaders are the ones that are willing to just take a step back and say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I think that, you know, I want to open this discussion up to other folks that might actually have a better solution for this than I do. Right. And that actually takes, you know, and I, I know that we've framed, phrased that as vulnerability in a sense, but I would say that that strength right? To be able to understand like, hey, we're working in an environment where there's high levels of uncertainty and ambiguity, right? And so if we have these common, you know, shared beliefs in a sense, let's work together to solve the problem. I'm going to be a more of a facilitator rather than the person that has to always have the right answer here. So I would say that that's a better definition of like, let's say strength and leadership than somebody who you know is always having to prove to be right to others. Because again, that I think that weaves into the whole notion that I am, right? I am, I'm a leader. So therefore I always have to be right versus I see, here's my perspective on this, but hey, maybe we can figure out a better way to to solve this problem together. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right. Well, we are running out of time. So Victoria, can you tell us where people can learn more about you and tell us about your upcoming book? Yes, absolutely. Um, so my company is called Exceptional Futures. And if you go to www.exceptionalfutures.com, 
that's one area uh, you can find me. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn um, under uh, Victoria Shiroma Wilson, S-H-I-R-O-M-A. And then Wilson is spelled W-I-L-S-O-N. And I have a book that's coming out in September. And my website actually has information on that. Um, it's going to be available for pre-order soon. And you'll be able to find it uh, in all the common channels like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for talking through this very big and very complicated topic with me today. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much. Victoria has provided a manager identity worksheet. Plus, she's giving away one free copy of her book, The Slingshot Quest, to a member of the Modern Manager community. You must be a member at the Sprout level or above to get these bonuses. Members also get access to our private Slack community, extended episodes, and other bonuses to support your professional development. To learn more and join, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are on the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Also in the weekly newsletter, you get the related blog article and transcript for each episode. So get on my email list at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.